Hi everyone, this is Regan. You are listening to Kadash Project, an online ministry with the purpose of exploring the Bible and the God it points to. Last week, we discussed about the first two verses describing the creation of the basic elements of the physical universe and how the Spirit of God initiates the energizing of everything. We also talked about the gap theory that suggests a cataclysm has happened when God created the world because of Satan's rebellion, leaving the earth in water and darkness. But we also said that this belief is problematic scientifically and theologically because it is self-defeating. Scientifically problematic because it does not accommodate the geological ages and theologically problematic because the Bible tells us that death comes in when Adam brought sin in, not before he was made. And for this episode, we will be talking about the next six days of the creation. And the first question that usually comes to mind is, whenever we talked about the days being referred in the book of Genesis, are we talking about six literal natural days or it's just a symbolic terms for long ages? A lot of biblical scholars would say it's a symbolic term for geological ages and they would recommend the day-age theory in interpreting or answering this question. But just like the gap theory, the day-age theory tries to compromise the creation with the evolution. Apparently, that doesn't just work. And so this theory encounters numerous overwhelming objections, rendering it as invalid. Just like how it accepts the existence of death before sin began, again, which stands in direct contradiction of what's written in the book of Romans 5.12, saying, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came. So that is after Adam brought sin and not before he was made. The word day used in the book of Genesis or Yom in Hebrew may occasionally be possible to refer to an indefinite time. But again, the context in Genesis 1 leads us to counting the days as six literal days and not geological ages. We will be talking more about that in a little while. So, in our last discussion, we have mentioned that we already have the elements of everything floating in space. Then the Spirit of God moved and imparted notion and form to the shapeless elements in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. And now we're moving on to Genesis 1, verse 3, the calling of the light to disperse the darkness. Now, the first thing God has called into existence is the light. It is important to note that the light was called by God into existence. He just commanded and it came to life. Of course, that is because His words have the power and His words carry life, right? It does not just carry power and life. It also initiates wisdom and design. So if I am the light and God called me the very first time to exist, in what form should I expose myself? How the light would look like? How it must operate? And what part should it play in the universe? When God called it to existence, it exists with power, it exists with a design, and it exists with a purpose. 
Another important thing to note is that darkness was never gone, but it's separated from the light. When God called the light day and the darkness He called night, that was Him carefully defining His terms. He is giving us a formula on how a day should be counted. He said the evening and the morning were the first day. So this is how He counted the days. This is His way of telling us that, hey, we're starting to count from here. This is day one. So from that point onwards as well, we can also safely conclude that the earth was now rotating on its axis, which is a divine design as well. Having a light on the other side of the earth, receiving it from not yet the sun, because the sun and all the light givers, the stars and the moon were created days after that. So we have the light on the other side of the earth and the night on the other side. Then after the calling of the light, the next thing God did is to prepare a planet uniquely suitable for human habitation. Until now, it amazes me how the earth has the perfect amount of oxygen and liquid water for human beings to live and survive. This is not by chance. This is not by accident. It's all orchestrated by God. Now in Genesis 1 verse 6, we can read a planet that is still watery and the God that is calling a firmament in the midst of the waters to divide it. So before Moses be dividing seas, God was already dividing waters in the universe, placing the other parts of it under the firmament or space he has called out, and the other part of it above the firmament. The lower waters are designed to support the earth's processes and provide a living, and the waters above as a protective canopy for its inhabitants. Again, this is a divine design. God is the author of it. Everything that we can read right now, the light, the waters, and their purpose, it's all in the mind of our wonderful maker called God, not chance. And uh, Mr. Morris mentioned that the waters that are above the firmament were probably, probably constituted a vast blanket of water vapor. So when God commanded the waters to be separated, the waters that are above the firmament were most likely turned into a vast regime of clouds or waters in form of vapor in order for the heavenly bodies to give light upon the earth. The third divide God had made during the creation was the calling of the dry land. We have mentioned earlier and discussed last week that the elements God needed for the creation of everything were already ready and in place. All that's needed to be done is for His words to call them out and His Spirit to move and give it form and life. Now when God called the dry land to appear, we can imagine a vast complex of rocks and minerals forming and making up a solid land, and then God called that dry land earth. Then God spoke again, and this time He is done dividing. He now turns to organizing. He called unto the earth and commanded it to bring forth grass, herb yielding seed, and fruit tree yielding fruit after His kind, whose seed is in itself. Wow. Did God really specifically mention that the fruit trees bear fruit after His kind? Yes, he did. Now, these plants have its seeds in themselves, so they had the ability to reproduce their own kind. Isn't it interesting that those plants were made as actual plants and not as seeds? Adam was created as a full-grown man, and the animals were created as full-grown animals, not as babies. 
This is interesting. Plus, the fact that these creations can reproduce their own kinds, and in reproducing their own kinds, we are now talking about genetic codes and DNA, unique complexities designed by God. The phrase after his kind occurs 10 times in the first chapter of Genesis. In Hebrew, it is translated as min, indicating the limitations of variation, meaning each organisms that are designed to reproduce themselves are designed to reproduce their own kinds, not after some other kinds. Variation is never possible outside the biological family, so the evolutionary dogma that states all living things are interrelated by common ancestry and descent is refuted by these biblical statements. When God called for the light givers or the heavenly bodies, just like everything else, the stars were created full-grown from the beginning. God did not require millions and billions of years for stars to develop. The heavenly bodies were designed to give light upon the earth, so this is what they did right when God commanded them to. Right when God called them into existence, they were called light givers regardless of what substance they are made of. Now, after the light, after the water, after the land, after the plants and the heavenly bodies, the animal life was introduced. Now, in the book of Genesis, it was not from protoplasm that happened to come together in response to electrical discharges over a primeval ocean like what evolutionists believe. God said, let the waters be abundant with moving creatures that has life, and there they go swimming in the ocean, everybody full grown. This is also the very first time the word life, or in Hebrew, the word nefesh, or soul, occurred referring to both the soul of man and the life of animals. This simply implies that plants do not have real life, soul, or consciousness, but both animals and men do. Along with the moving creatures in the water, animals for air also appeared. After declaring his work good, God pronounced blessings upon these animals he has created, including both a command and a provision for their continued multiplication. Now, after the creation of animal life filling the seas and the air, God filled the earth with bees, cattle, and other creeping animals. It is noteworthy that the Hebrew word used in making these animals were asa and not the usual bara that God has used in the previous creation. It would seem that the land animals were of a higher order than the others and therefore they should have taken a higher category of divine activity. Now when God made man, the first command given to this first man and woman was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This command established man as God's steward over the created world and all things therein. To subdue and have dominion, to conquer and rule, this twofold commission embraces all productive human activities. After giving man his commission, God told him of the provision for his most essential need, that of food. Man had work to do and would need a repeated renewal of energy to continue the work. 
and this energy is to be provided through the marvelous digestive system and internal energy conversion apparatus designed by God as a part of man's body. This energy supply was to be perpetually available through the fruits from the trees established by God on the third day of creation. Now, it is emphasized four times that God had finished his work and three times it emphasized that this included all of his work. It is vitally important for man to realize that the process of creating and making, which is very impossible for us to understand, is already done. The present processes of the universe, which are the processes of conservation and disintegration, are the only ones science can deal with at the present time. And before settling down to rest, God first surveyed everything he had made and pronounced the whole creation to be very good. Everything in the universe was still at this time exceedingly good in God's own omniscient judgment. There could have been nothing that was not good in all creation. No struggle for existence, no disease, no pollution, no physical calamities, no imbalance or lack of harmony, no disorder, no sin, and above all, no death. So that, folks, is what happened during the six remaining days of creation. Next episode, we will be talking more about the creation of man. We will be talking about the geography of the Garden of Eden. We will be talking about the moral choice. We will be talking about man's distinction between the animals. And of course, we will be talking about Eve, the flesh of his flesh. This has been real and thank you for tuning in and listening to Gadesh Project. If you have any comments, suggestions, or any reactions, you can email us at gadeshproject at gmail.com or you can visit our website at www.gadeshproject.com. Till next time, God bless you!